Okay, we are now doing Monday portion of Zos Habracha. We are in chapter 33. We are up to verse 8. Yesterday was a blessing to Yehuda, and now it's to Levi. And then after Levi's, we also have Binyamin's. And of Levi, he said, your Tumim and your Urim. Tumim and Urim, which Rashi explains, I'll say not to make sense of the verse, is really a reference of speaking to God, to the divine presence. Your Tumim and your Urim, like Urim Tumim, befit your devout one, whom you tested at Massa, whom you challenged at the waters of Mariva. So this verse, when it says your Tumim and your Urim, Urim Tumim is the term for the special breastplate worn by the high priest within which was a paper, a scroll of God's name. That's what we mean by the Urim and Tumim, that with the scroll of God's name, it lit up. And when one could ask questions of the high priest, the letters on the breastplate lit up, and that's how they would have God's answer. So it's a reference, your Tumim and your Urim, to God, to the Divine Presence. So this whole verse is, so to speak, to the Divine Presence about Levi, as Rashi says, and to Levi it says, about Levi, he said. It wasn't directly these words to Levi, it's about Levi, because your Tumim and your Urim, Rashi says, means we're now speaking to God, to the Divine Presence. So, to God, about Levi. You're the that one whom you tested at Massa. What was the test here? That they didn't complain with the other complainers. Rashi is following the opinion of Targum Unclus that says when the Jews tested God at Massa, Levi was not part of that. And then whom you challenged is at the waters of Mariva, also, as according to Targum, the tribe of Levi did not complain. When the rest of the people complained by the waters of Mariva, Levi did not complain. Then Rashi gives another understanding that is actually a reference specifically to the Levites, so to speak, that uh, were challenged by the waters of Mariva, which means Miriam and Aharon, meaning Moshe, Miriam, and Aharon all were not allowed to enter Israel. They all died very, very shortly before, in the end of the 40th year, before the Jews entered Israel. Well, what did they do wrong? It doesn't say about Miriam at all, actually. And about Moses and Aaron, it says, because of these waters of Meriva, that Moses hit the rock, etc. So Rashi is saying the challenge here is, all right, even if we want to say that Moses hit the rock, which really, we're not going to that story now, but really was done with tremendous divine reasons. But what did Aaron do? And what did Miriam do, who actually had nothing to do with these waters at all? And and for that matter, neither did our own. So, like, why weren't they allowed to enter the land? So that's the challenge, how you challenge the Levites, meaning Aaron and Moses and Miriam, in connection to the waters of Mariva. So either, again, it's referring to all the, the tribe, because all the tribe stayed faithful to you, and they didn't complain when the Jews didn't have water, or it's specifically Aaron and Miriam that, like, so to speak, you challenged them because you didn't allow them to go into Israel. And what was the issue? If we want to say that Moses had an issue, well, for sure, Aaron had nothing to do with it. And, and Miriam, you didn't even bother saying that was the reason why. So what's happening there? Verse 9, the one who said of his father and mother, I've not seen him, his brothers he did not recognize, his children do not know, for they kept your statement and your covenant they would preserve. So this whole verse, according to Rashi, is referring, well, besides the end of it, is referring to 
after the sin of the golden calf, when Moses came down the mountain and some of the Jews had already sinned, approximately 3,000 Jews were killed by sword. Jews that both sinned with witnesses and warning. So Moses, when he came down, so what happened? He said, well, it was for God come to me. And it says all of the Levites came to him. And they were the ones that were his, his army now that killed out those Jews that sinned with the golden calf with witnesses and warning, warning which was, again, 3,000. A tremendous number, of course. There were about 3 million Jews at that time. So it was a very small percentage, but it's 3,000 Jews. And the ones that killed them were the Levites. Now, we know the entire tribe of Levi did not sin by the golden calf. Not one of them served the golden calf. So what is this verse saying as if he's taking the sword to his father, his mother, his brother, his children, none of them sinned. So Rashi explains that it would mean here the father of his mother, so to speak, who's an Israelite, or the brother of his mother, who also could have been not a Levi, or the son of his daughter, who would not have been a Levi. Because it can't be his direct paternal line of relatives, because those would all be Levites, and not one of them sinned. So they kept your statement, the statement of, you should not have other gods. That's the statement they kept, which is how none of the tribes sinned, and not only did none of the tribes sin, but they were the ones who became Moses' army to take God's revenge, take God's punishment on the Jews that did sin. And then the final words, and your covenant they would preserve, actually means the brismila, the circumcision. Because in the desert, the Israelites, the Jews, did not circumcise their children because we never know when we're traveling. How could we circumcise a child and then travel? It could be dangerous for them. So for the some 40 years of the traveling in the desert, they didn't circumcise. They had all been circumcised right before they left Egypt. So they were all circumcised, but the children born in the desert were not circumcised. And right when they came to Israel, then all the men were again circumcised, except for the tribe of Levi. They circumcised their sons in the desert as well. So this is a special guarding, preserving your covenant. Next verse. They shall teach your laws to Yaakov and your Torah to Israel. They shall place incense before your presence and burnt offerings upon your altar. So they shall teach your laws. They're worthy for this. And the word chalil, which we translate as Rashi translated, is a reference to the burnt offering. Bless, O God, his possessions and favor the work of his hands. Strike down his opponents to the loins and his enemies that they may not rise. So Rashi says striking down his opponent to the loins means this striking down of his enemies with a blow to the loins from which you do not get up. Who are these enemies? So Moses says this. The first version of Rashi is those that are going to challenge the priesthood. The second version of Rashi here is talking about many generations later, the time shortly before the miracle of Hanukkah, when the Hashmonaim, who are the descendants of Levi, they're from that tribe, and they were, of course, the beginning of the army. They led the Jews in the war against the Assyrian Greeks. And Rashi says there were 12 sons of Hashmonai and Eleazar. Hashmonai is a reference to Yochanan, the high priest, the father of Matasyahu, and from Matasyahu and his sons, of course, became the army of the Jews against the Greeks. So Rashi is saying that originally it was 12, 13 people. It was 12 descendants of Hashmonai, of Yochanan the high priest, plus another hero of the Jews, Elazar, 
And these 13 people began the war against the Greeks, the Syrian Greeks, which led to the miracle of Hanukkah. On the word of his enemies, they shall not rise, smashing his foes and his enemies, that they not be able to rise again. So those were the blessings to Levi. And now we have one verse to the next tribe, Binyamin. Of Binyamin, he said, may God Beloved, may God's beloved dwell securely by him. He screams him forever and rests between his shoulders. So why are we now going to Benjamin, to Benjamin, the, the youngest of the tribes from Levi? So Rashi says, because Levi's blessing had to do with the offering, the service in the temple, and the portion of the temple was in Benjamin, in Benjamin's portion. So that's why Moses connected right after Levi who has the blessings of the service, we go to Benjamin to Minyamin, who has the portion of the temple. And that's why next, on Tuesday, we have all the blessings to Yosef, to Joseph, because he also has a connection to this priestly service, because in his portion was the tabernacle of Shiloh that was there for close to 400 years. But since the temple, the Beis Amikdash, is eternal and therefore much more precious than the tabernacle, which was by Shiloh. First, we give the blessings to Benjamin, who has the more precious possession, the temple in his portion. And then after that, we write the blessings of Joseph, of Yosef, who had connected to this, but on not the same level, on a lesser level, the tabernacle of Shiloh. He screens him, or he says this means he covers him, he shields him all day, meaning forever, because once Jerusalem was chosen as the place of the temple, that is where the divine presence rests. And on the words, he rests between his shoulders. So where was the temple built? So first, when David was planning the building of the temple, he went to the highest point in the land of Benjamin, which is called Ein Etam. And that was the highest point. Ah, that's where she built God's temple. But then, because of this verse, the sages said, no, no, no. It says he rests between his shoulders. We're comparing it to an ox. That the most beautiful part of the ox is the shoulders, which means a little lower than the head. So let's go a little lower than ain't a tongue. So they built it 23 almost lower to correspond to, like not the head, that would have been ain't a tongue, the highest point of the land but 23 almas lower as if the shoulders of this ox, because that is the most beautiful part of the land, and that is where they built the temple.